the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everyone. I'm George Roska. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 53 of Say What? Where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the increasing tribalism occurring on our school campuses. That's right, George. You know, too few Americans are aware of the racial and ideological partitioning or segregation that is happening, particularly on college campuses, but it's also now beginning to show up in primary and secondary education. I mean, really, uh, the first thing that, that we've noticed is segregated dormitories on college campuses across the country. We're seeing kind of a strange reversal of Brown versus Board of Education. This was the famous case in 1954, which declared school segregation unconstitutional. But in sort of a strange twist of reality, some of the very groups that were victimized by past racial segregation are now demanding it. It's a crazy thing. For example... Uh, Williams College, which is a venerated old school, I mean, it goes back to 1793 in Massachusetts, um, has what they call, quote, affinity housing for black students and other minorities. Students claim it makes Williams a more welcoming, supportive, and safe community for minoritized students. So this is almost like saying... In the name of equity, if I, as the oppressed, want to racially segregate myself, I can act as a racist, but an oppressor cannot act as a racist. Exactly. Um, And the history of these segregated dorms uh, has an interesting genesis. Um, According to an article that we read recently in the National Review, this goes back to 2019 when this article was written, but they say, quote, the first neo-segregated residence our research identified was the Malcolm X House at Wesleyan University. It was founded in 1969 after black students broke into and occupied Fisk Hall. Wesleyan also has five other racially segregated residences now. Women of Color House, La Casa Cultural House, Asian American House, South Asian House, and Ubuntu, a residence for students of African descent. Black students at Brown University have the Harambe House, and Latino students the Latinx house Brown recently announced an Asian Asian American house, which will open up in the fall, but other segregated residents in our study include MIT's quote, chocolate city, Columbia's quote, Pan-African house and Cornell's Ujama and Oberlin college Asian house. So it's not just black dormitories. It's a bunch of racial groups now where this, 
idea of segregating ourselves by racial identities has caught fire on college campuses. Say what? This is absolutely crazy. I thought that when we put, uh, you know, the Japanese people in, uh, you know, camps and yeah. segregated them mm-hmm. during World War II. That's right. We learned our lesson yeah. uh, and said, no, 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 we cannot do something like that. Yeah. Um, what What's also crazy here, Mark, is that, you know, I always ask myself, well, who who comes up with these definitions of race, of these categories of race? Well, why is it, you know, Asian? Why is it Asian? Asia is such a big continent, right? Why are they lumping them all in? Who decided that now it should also be South Asian? What is South Asian, right? So... The people who are coming up with these categories are so racist, and we need to ask ourselves these questions. Uh, It's pure racism, George, and and unfortunately, it's not just happening out on the East Coast. It's happening here on the West Coast as well. Uh, Western Washington University also has, quote, affinity housing, that, that term of art, that aims to create a caring and connected community among residents and support, quote, wellness centering the black experience. But it's not just segregated dormitories. This also applies to orientation and now commencement ceremonies on college campuses. In fact, the National Association of Scholars, very well-regarded institution, did a study and they found that 42% of 173 colleges surveyed offered segregated residences. In addition, 46% offered segregated orientation programs. And George, 72% hosted segregated graduation ceremonies. They call it neo-segregation to distinguish it from the forced segregation of the past. Say what? Yeah. Mark, Mark, I'm shocked. I am shocked right now. I had no clue about any of this. Yeah. Most Americans, they don't have any idea of what's going on. Wow. Now, you know, these, we've talked about private colleges. So these same things are going on at Columbia, Yale, MIT. They all have segregated dorms. And you could make the argument, well, you know, we have freedom of assembly. It's a private school. People should be able to do what they want. The question, George, is this really a healthy thing that college campuses should be supporting? And the bigger question is, should our public dollars be sponsoring this? And this is going on in public universities as well. UCLA and Cal Berkeley, even Cal State LA now, all offer segregated dorms to black students. So that's your taxpayer dollars supporting racial segregation. Oh, my. Oh, my. Mark, I had no clue about all of this. And and I'm being very honest for the listeners you know, Mark and I, we, we put a lot of our materials here together independently of each other. And for the most of the time, we, we all know about this stuff because we've talked about it before. But I don't recall us talking so much about this topic of segregation. Yeah, we, have, we haven't really discussed it before. And, and so you've done your research on this. And right now, I am just stunned. I'm floored. 
I, I don't know what to say, Mark. Yeah, and the sad thing, George, is this is not new. It's been going on. It's been creeping up for, you know, I would say the last five years or so, but now it's really come into vogue. This this racial partitioning of our society that's being led on college campuses, but it's creeping in everywhere. Uh, we see it, obviously, in admission policies, a sort of tribalism um, uh uh, idea. It's part and parcel of a bigger movement in academia where merit is out, racial discrimination is in. Uh, you and I know uh, about the critical race theory promoter Ibram X. Kendi, right? Yep. Who uh, wrote How to Be an Anti Racist. Well, he stated very plainly the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And that's being played out in admission policies. Standardized tests, George, I mean, when you and I went to school, we had to take either the uh, SAT or ACT. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a leveling of knowledge, right? We had to measure somehow, what do you know? What have you, what have you learned? Um, are you equipped with, with the knowledge and ability to enter this institution. Well, those are gone now because they've been viewed as unfair, inequitable, mm-hmm. yep. racist. And so what, what you have now is those have gone away to accommodate racial preferences um, on our college campuses. We have a good friend, uh, Wen Young Wu, who is with the Californias for the Equal Rights Foundation. And she just reported, quote, in an article that she wrote, as of February 9th, 2022, over 1,820 accredited U.S. colleges and universities do not require test scores for admissions, and 86 campuses are fully test-free. The movement to retired standardized testing is spearheaded by the union-funded nonprofit National Center for Fair and Open Testing and backed by education reformers. For two consecutive application cycles following the University of California's reform, the number of students admitted, and this is just an example, uh, to UC Berkeley from the traditional feeder school, Lynbrook High, has been halved, going from 61 in 2019 to 26 in 2020 and to 22 in 2021. General admissions by Berkeley have also dropped for Henry M. Gunn Senior High, another known feeder school. Both schools are majority Asian, 85% at Lindbrook and 44% at Gunn High, and both are high-performing schools in the top 5% category in the state in terms of math and reading proficiencies. And as you and I both know, George, there's this famous lawsuit now that's pending about racial inequity admission policies at Harvard College that the Supreme Court is going to rule on. So what's interesting to me about this is that at the same time that Asians are being discriminated against in terms of admission policies – they are still going along with the segregated dormitories and commencement addresses. Let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Yeah, Mark, let me, when you're reading all of this to me, I, I want parents to understand something. Um, so in these quotes that Mark read from Wen Yuan Yu's um, article, she's talking about teachers' unions 
that are funding a nonprofit organization called National Center for Fair and Open Testing. Okay. One thing to note about Teachers Union is that back in 2017, 2018, the Teachers Union, um, you know, wanting to, you know, get more political power, they started a movement called Red for Ed. Oh, that's right. Okay. They created, the, they had these red teacher t-shirts with white writing on them. And it, it had all of those, you know, euphemistic yeah. things. Love is love. Right. No person is illegal. Um, but one of those statements on there was Asians are not the my, model minority. Wow. The most racist thing yeah. that could could you know come out of their mouths. That's right. They put that on their T-shirts, yeah. and I have pictures of those T-shirts, and I've posted those pictures on on my Facebook and Telegram accounts for people to see. The teachers' unions are clearly racist. You know the buzzword that you hear today, not just on college campuses, but all throughout corporate America, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And mm-hmm. it sounds good, but George, it never seems to apply to favored racial groups and beliefs. It's now government policy at the highest level, including nominations to the Supreme Court. Now. Uh, The Biden administration, uh, the president of the United States, had just nominated Judge uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson to to replace uh, departing Justice Stephen Breyer. And she may be a a fine jurist, but this is besides the point, because culturally we've now devolved where even questioning racial preferences is grounds for outrage, canceling, and Mm deplatforming. And this was made very evident at an incident recently at Hastings Law School, which is up in the San Francisco area. Uh, A group of students had invited a legal scholar, Ilya Shapiro, to speak there. Uh, And Shapiro's been in the news recently because he was suspended from Georgetown University simply because he challenged Biden's insistence to only consider a black woman to replace uh, Justice Breyer. Well, law students at Georgetown demanded that he be fired, that Mm -hmm. reparations be paid, (laughs) and that a cry area be designated for the traumatized law students at that university. That's Georgetown. But here on the West Coast, a Hastings Law School student organization invited Professor Shapiro to speak there. But George, as soon as he took the podium, he was shouted down for over 45 minutes by students enraged at his presence. And we have a little audio from this. That's enough. You're unqualified to speak on black women. You're It's a mob. And it turns out that he couldn't teach. As one reporter at the event, Nate Hokeman, uh, t- 
tweeted out, Ilya Shapiro's speech at UC Hastings Law was chaos. Students blocked his access to the podium, peppered him with insults, and hijacked the Zoom live stream. Remove him off the expletive campus because that's what we want, one screamed at the school dean. Notably, a UC Hastings professor who attended the event appeared to endorse the activists while Shapiro was out of the room. Quote, I'm all in the protest here, he said. A student asked him to repeat the statement for the cameras. He waves and smiles. I'm all in. I'm all in. So, George, so much for academic freedom of speech and free assembly. Uh, the, the liberties these same students will likely someday take um, to uphold and defend when they take of their oath of office as lawyers. These were law students at Hastings. Wow. Yeah. Now, to their credit, um, Hastings administration did put out a letter condemning the students but to which 19 of UC Hastings law faculty members took issue. In fact, they wrote their own letter in response to the administration letter where they said, quote, Dear concerned students, we write in our individual capacity and not on behalf of the institution to explain where the administration's community email, the college's committed to academic freedom and free speech, does not represent our priorities or articulate our commitments to providing you an equitable learning environment. Speech does not exist in a vacuum. It happens within the context of unequal power and structural inequalities. There you go. It's incredible. So 19 professors at a uh, university, prestigious university for budding lawyers that our taxpayer money is going to, uh, to underwrite. George, this reminds me of a famous quote by one of our founding fathers, James Madison, in Federalist Number 55, where he wrote, and by the way, <clears throat> this was a an article in, in the Federalist Papers about how dangerous direct democracies are. In fact, yep. it's kind of interesting that our founders did not believe in direct, pure majority rule democracies because they tend to turn into mobs. That's why they were for a Republican constitution, a representative government. Madison wrote, quote, in all very numerous assemblies of whatever characters composed, passion never fails to wrest the scepter from reason. In fact, had every Athenian citizen been a Socrates, every Athenian assembly would still have been a mob. So, you know, being an attorney myself, I used to think that, well, to be a lawyer, you have to be reasonably intelligent. But I've been sort of disabused of that fact or probably more to the more to the truth. When you get enough people together that have a similar ideology and they get ramped up with emotion, it turns into a mob. Uh, Whereas where people who are just exercising their free speech, like Professor Shapiro, are no longer able to do it. And I have the same feelings towards engineers. I thought engineers, you know, <laughs> question everything, are very logical, reasonable people. And I think the last, you know, two to three years have really uh, changed my perception of that. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all human beings at the end of the day. And uh, our founder, James Madison, knew that very well. And it's amazing 
how they were such students of human nature. And based on that, they set up a structure that would protect us from ourselves. They set up a separate structure called federalism, where mm-hmm. power and government is divided between a federal government and the states. They thought that most of the power would reside in the states, not the federal government. And separation of powers, where even the federal government was divided into different co-equal branches, so no one particular branch would have power, all in an effort to limit uh, the power and authority of our government. But what they could not foresee, George, is that people willingly being able to divide themselves into racial uh, or tribal groups. And very sadly and ominously, I think that's happening in America today. Now, you might ask the question, well, what connection does that have with primary and secondary education? Mm -hmm. But there is a, a big connection. I agree. We are now, as you and I have discussed many times, We're teaching these ideas to our school kids, starting in kindergarten. We are teaching critical race theory all over the country. And in fact, in California here, it's now a requirement for kids to graduate from high school. But it doesn't even have to be mandated because there are many teachers who willingly just want this stuff. So we are teaching our children to view view themselves as either a part of the oppressor group or the oppressed group. In fact, we saw this played out in Cupertino. Christopher Rufo covered this, where Barner Hess's Eight White Identities was a classroom exercise. And if it's happening there, George, it's happening all over the country. It definitely is. And the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how did all of these law students, you know, they're in their, what, early 20s? Yeah. How did they develop this ideology it just happened over the last 10 years because while those same students now in law school were students in a junior high and in a high school somewhere in the united states they learned all of this stuff they did and so parents be on the lookout the kind of stuff that our students are being taught in in school is now forming their worldview and their ideologies. And increasingly what we see in in wokeism is this tribalism and this superiority complex and the willingness to even take it a step further and even commit acts of violence on behalf of and in the name of equity. Yeah, and it's happening while at the same time our children are literally learning to hate America mm-hmm. and its founding through historical revisionism. And George, um, it's sort of hard to imagine where we're going if something doesn't happen dramatically to turn the, the ship of state around. We've quoted this before, and I think it's fitting that we quote it again uh, as we leave our program. And this is from Abraham Lincoln. He wrote, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. Definitely. We see that already. <laughs> we see that with, with Biden. Um, and you already mentioned his example of, you know, the only type of candidate he was willing to entertain. Uh, so parents, it, it is our responsibility to protect not just our kids, but protect all kids. 
And that is what we are trying to do here at POK. Please visit our website at protectourkidsnow.org. There's a lot of great information under the brochures tab uh, where you can learn about the triple threat. There's a lot of great videos, short videos that are are very well uh, produced um, that you could learn on all of these topics, uh, each one in the no more than 10-minute range. so please, please, please go onto our website, protectourkidsnow.org, and you can find out more about us. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.